Good morning, Maple Grove. Good morning. All right, that's pretty good. Uh, let's do this. It's 30 AD, and Jesus has been preaching, teaching, and healing people for about a year. So there's a, a large group of people chasing after Jesus. And as Matthew 5 opens up, it's time for Jesus to give his platform speech, his manifesto. It's time for Jesus to tell everyone what he and his kingdom is all about. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And here's what we're going to do here. The underlined part is yours to say, all right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. That confused you, didn't it? Confused me too. Blessed are the peacemakers. Amen. Seeing God, being satisfied, inheriting the earth, finding comfort, receiving mercy, having the kingdom, and being called sons of God. Yeah, sign me up. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence this morning. We thank you for these words of Jesus spoken on the mountainside 2,000 years ago about what life in his kingdom is all about, about what those who live in his kingdom, how they are to live. And God, I pray that as we unpack this, the seventh beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, because they'll be called sons of God, I pray that you'll open up our hearts and minds. I pray, God, that we'll lean into your word. I pray, God, that you'll clear our minds of any distraction. I pray, God, that you enable me to speak exactly what you want me to speak in the exact way that you want me to speak it. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, the word peacemaker is made up of two Greek words, peacemaker, arene poios, and the word peace, arene, means the end of rage, the end of destruction that is caused by conflict. It, it means harmony between individuals. It means to restore what was in conflict to a flourishing wholeness. And the word poios, to make, means to cause, to produce, to render, to be the author of, to execute, and to bring forth. You see, this word is a, it's a word bursting with energy. It mandates action and initiative. It describes someone who is willing to drag two combatants to the table and give them a reason not only to lay down their arms, but to live together in peace. And notice that Jesus did not say, blessed are the peace wishers, the peace dreamers, the, the peace lovers, the peace talkers, or even the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers because peace must be made. Peace never happens by chance. Peace must be fought for. Bottom line, a peacemaker is never passive. And so they're always active, taking the initiative, entering the fray, jumping into the arena. They're up and they are doing. They actively pursue peace. Psalm 34 verse 14 says, turn from evil. Someone say turn from evil. And do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness 
without it, no one will see the Lord. Unless we're pursuing God's kind of peace, no one will see the Lord as he's lived out in our, in our lives. Blessed are the peacemakers because they were called sons of God. In our sin, the peacemaker pursues more than just the absence of conflict. Peacemakers don't avoid conflict. In fact, sometimes peacemaking actually creates more conflict. Because peacemakers aren't merely seeking to appease the warring parties, nor are they trying to accommodate everyone. You see, peacemakers are not interested in a fake Disney world painted on Mr. Rogers, won't you be my neighbor kind of peace where conflict still rages underneath the surface and nothing has really changed. Peacemakers are pursuing all the beauty, power, and blessedness of God's kind of peace. One that is grounded in both truth and righteousness. And listen, listen, here's the deal. Without truth and righteousness, without truth and right behavior, it will never be God's kind of peace. And so here's my... A good working definition of a peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another and who breathes truth and righteousness into conflict. Actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another and who breathes truth and righteousness into conflict. And you know what I know is we look at our nation the last few years like pretty much all we see, like we're bombarded by it 24-7, are images of conflict, hatred, division, and violence. I mean, like it's everywhere. I mean, recently, right, a, a guy opens fire in a New York subway, shooting 10 people. Mother's Day weekend in Chicago, six people were killed and nine people were shot. And in Buffalo this past week, right, a guy enters a supermarket and murders 10 people. And if you're like me, i I'm sure that all those images and the destroyed lives behind them are wearing you out, breaking your heart, moving you to want to say, enough, enough. But understand, tragically, hatred, conflict, violence, and division are not anything new. A, a study was done several years back and found that in the 300 plus years of recorded history that the world has only had about 8% of the time they were at peace. And that 800 treaties have been made and, and broken. Yes, conflict, hatred, violence, and division have been around for a very long time. In fact, since Genesis chapter 4, when Cain, because he was angry and jealous of his brother, murdered Abel. And ever since, anger, hatred, violence, and division have been in our communities, in our cities, in our nation, in our government, in our families, in our world, and even in our churches. And listen, it is into this conflict-infested, hate-filled, rage-unleashed, divided world that Jesus sends you and I out as peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. Now, the way I want to attack this conversation on this seventh beatitude is by unpacking two statements. Statement number one, like father, like son. And number two, the peace we must make. Uh, God, we love you. And God, our world is in conflict it's everywhere. God, help us to be part of the solution and not to ignite the problem. Open our eyes and ears right now. 
Holy Spirit, speak to us individually of how you would have us live our lives out in this world. Amen. Now, to understand what it means to be called a sons of God, it's important for us to take a moment to talk about when the child becomes a son. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Now, the word called used here means to be designated to hold or be named to a particular rank or office, like when someone is named the chairman of a company or the captain of the team or spokesman for a gathering. Jesus says that those who are peacemakers, that those who are actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another and who breathe truth and righteousness into conflict will be known, will be recognized for who they really are, the sons of God. Now we might assume at at first glance that being a son of God means the same thing as being a child of God. But such is not the case. You see, a child of God is one who is part of the family. It's a statement of, A position. A son of God is one who is like the family. It's a statement of of character. Are you tracking with me? You see, a son of God is not only one who carries the family name, but who bears the family resemblance and reputation. Understand, in the New Testament times, to be a son meant that you, you have the same mind, the same values, the same beliefs, the same spirit as your father. In fact, in that culture, a son who was pretty much a a bum and who rebelled against and was not at all like his father would often be disowned and disinherited. Well, on the other hand, a slave who was of the same mind, values, and beliefs would frequently be adopted and considered to be a true son and thus became an heir. Now, understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying that peacemakers will be called a son of God. He's saying that they will that they look like God, that they share God's values, God's beliefs, God's purpose, and God's mission, that they have the same mind and the same spirit as the Father. Get it? Good. In other words, when people look at them, when they see how they live, when they watch them fight for God's kind of peace, they're like, hey, you must be a son of God because you look like and you live just like him. Question, do the people in your life recognize your resemblance to the Father based on your efforts at peacemaking. Understand, you're a child of God because you surrendered to Christ and His gospel, but you're a son of God because like the Father, you pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Pursue peace with everyone and, and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord, like Father, like Son. And so the question I think we all need to be asking ourselves is, are we actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another, helping to bring lost people to his grace, to, bring two, to put two neighbors back on speaking terms, to restore unity within a family, to make amends with a brother or sister? Are, are we recognized as assisting God in his peacemaking activity in this conflict-infested, hate-filled, rage-unleashed, divided world. Like when someone walk up to us and say, hey, I've been watching you and, and, and the way you live, the, the way you behave, the, the way you speak, the way you contend for peace, you, I, 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 know, I know who you are. You must be a son of God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the restoration bringers. Blessed are the conflict enders. Blessed are the anger subsiders. Blessed are the violence quenchers. Blessed are the hatred overcomers. Blessed are the division enders. For they will be called sons of God. And I think you would agree with me that if there's one thing this dark, broken, angry, divided world needs, it's more sons of God walking this planet. Amen? And check out these God-breathed words in John's first letter. He says this, this is how we know that we are in him. Because we go to church on Sundays, because we have a Christian bumper sticker on our car, we go to Christian conferences, we serve at Christian camps and ministries. No, this is how we know that we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Listen, we cannot walk with Jesus and continue to walk in hatred, violence, darkness, injustice, sin, and uncontrolled anger. Question, would Jesus walk with those who are treated unjustly? Without a doubt. Did it all the time. He did it for the lepers. He, he, he did it for the demon possessed. He, he did it for the woman caught in adultery in John 8. He did it for the woman leaning against a well in John chapter 4. Jesus often ate with sinners and outcasts. Would Jesus walk with those in power who abused it? Never. Not even a chance. In fact, in the gospel, we see many times, on many occasions, Jesus calling out those who did, those in authority who abused their power. Throughout the Old Testament, God, through his prophets again and again, called out those in power and authority over his people who misused it. And he expresses his desire, as he says in Amos 5, 24, his desire to see justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. We must walk like Jesus would Jesus walk with those who ride and violently protest? No. Seriously, do we even need to ask? Bottom line, if we claim Jesus, we must not only walk with him, we must walk like him. Understand, there was much injustice in the world in which Jesus lived. I mean, being occupied by a foreign government, being ruled by corrupt religious leaders, was not a fun place to live to say the least. And how did Jesus respond? Listen, we who claim Jesus must come against injustice in the very same ways that Jesus did by bringing the compassion, the care, the love, and the reconciliation with God that people need. And we must not, never allow ourselves to be conformed to the pattern of this world when it comes to fighting against injustice or things that are wrong. Remember, what people really need is Jesus. Amen? And the living hope and enduring peace that's found in him alone. So let us who claim to know him humble ourselves and bend our knee before him, asking him who he would have us be and what he would have us do in order to be the light that this broken, dark, hurting world so desperately needs. And let us resist the temptation to take our stand with the right or with the left, but instead always take our stand with Jesus and his truth. Amen? Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. And when the child becomes a son, he will be a peacemaker because the father is all about peacemaking. And he is, right? I mean, 
Ever since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve took a, a bite out of the forbidden fruit, making peace is what the entire story is about. Understand, from Genesis 3 until Luke chapter 2, when the angels lit up the skies and proclaimed, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those from whom his favor rests. The story has been about God preparing his people for the coming of the Prince of Peace, the ultimate peacemaker. And listen, when God the Son jumped into the middle of this hate-filled, conflict-infested world and made peace, it was not clean and it was not easy. To make peace, Jesus had to suffer many terrible things, rejection, arrest, betrayals, beatings, and the cross as he breathed love, truth, grace, and righteousness into conflict. And there's many verses I could read about our Prince of Peace. I'll just read one, Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, Someone say, through him. To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Uh, Blessed are those who do not simply want to be known as a child of God, as awesome as that is, but who want to be called, because of the way they talk, live, and pursue peace, want to be called a son of God. Now, the second statement to unpack is the peace we must make. And I think it's important, first of all, to talk about what peacemaking is not, because there's a lot of misconceptions out there. First, peacemaking is not the avoidance of conflict. Listen, we're never instructed to run from conflict. I'm not talking about necessarily physical violence. Understand, putting our head in the sand, hoping that conflict will magically go away, only delays the inevitable, Right? You see, conflict like cancer, if left unchecked, usually grows, spreads, and metastasizes. It's not about avoidance and it's not about appeasement. Listen, the peace at any price mentality is far from biblical peace, which is grounded in truth and righteousness, which is grounded in right living and right behavior. And peacemaking is not accommodation. The person who glosses over problems acting like everything is when it's not, it's not a peacemaker. Here's the deal. To appease, to accommodate, or avoid does not make us peacemakers, but rather it makes us peacekeepers. And there's a massive difference between the two. You see, peacekeepers want peace at all costs. Therefore, they often choose peace, their concept of peace, their peace over truth, their peace over doing what is right, their peace over healthy and authentic relationship, their peace over having tough conversations, their peace over calling out in a Jesus-like manner sin and wrong behavior. Bottom line, peacekeepers tend to sweep issues under the carpet. And so doing, they settle for a counterfeit pseudo Disney World Mr. Rogers piece that is based on avoiding what is real and what is true. Understand, God's peace, the peace of the Bible, never evades issues. It knows nothing of peace of any place, nor does it rationalize, excuse, justify, accommodate wrong behavior or falsehoods. Instead, it it confronts problems and tries to solve them. And after the problem is solved, it builds a bridge between those who had once been separated. Which is what Jesus did for us, right? Uh, Jesus secured our peace and then he built the bridge. Peacemakers are often bridge builders. And here's the deal. The more bridges we build between people, the less conflict there will be. Amen? 
And the, and the best time to build a bridge is, I mean, would it be before or after the conflict? When do you think the best time to build a bridge? Before, right? Before the conflict, right? You build a bridge, you know people. You know what they're about. You know their heart. You know who they are. See, I believe the reason there's so much conflict in our homes, in our lives, in our world, in our churches, is because we try to be peacekeepers rather than peacemakers. So we appease, we avoid, we accommodate rather than deal with truth and what is right. And this is most definitely not the way of Jesus, the ultimate model of a peacemaker. I mean, check out what Jesus, the Prince of Peace, said in Matthew chapter 10. Kind of crazy. Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I think the sword's talking about the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, uh, that cuts, divides, and causes people to make a decision. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That one's probably pretty easy, right? Yeah, sign me up for that one. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. Mark Moore in his commentary on the life of Christ says this. What a paradox. The prince of peace who's gentle and humble, who would not even cry out on his own behalf, will be the cause of great division. Jesus' driving passion is for peace, but not at the price of truth and righteousness. I understand the peace that Jesus wants and brings reminds us that there will be opposition before there's harmony. There will be conflict before there's peace. Why? Because the peace of Christ must always be seen in terms of truth and righteousness to which the world is in fierce opposition. Are you tracking with me? Understand, when believers bring truth to a world that loves lies and falsehood, there'll be conflict. When believers bring righteousness to a world that loves sin and ungodly behavior to a world that is Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says to a world that calls good evil and evil good, there'll be opposition. And when a believer brings a word of truth to a brother who has strayed away from God in the way he should live, there will be pushback. Paul had some pushback to the church in Galatia. He wrote this, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Galatians 4.16. But listen, until righteousness, the wrong way, is replaced with righteousness, the right way, until falsehood and lies are exchanged for truth, we'll never walk in the peace that God desires and that he is all about. And there's four areas of peace where God wants, four areas where God wants to make peace. First, peacemakers must first make peace with God. That's the starting point. Before you can be called a son of God, you first have to be a child of God. We first must make peace with God. And in making peace with God, who sets the terms? God or us? What do you think? God. Okay. Good answer. He sets the terms of our surrender. And he lays out those terms for us in his word, which is our highest authority. Not our opinions. Not what I tell you, but what God's word tells us, right? And so what are the terms of surrender to God in his word? And I want to remind you of this, this um, principle of interpretation here. And it's this. I've shared this before, but it's so important. Um, no verse can mean less than what it says. Do we have that slide? 
by any chance? Maybe? Oh, I got time to sing a song, I guess. <laughs> I found my freedom on blueberry. I know. Wow, where did that come from? <laughs> Anyhow, I'll, I'll just say it. No verse can mean less than what it says, but it can mean more in light of other scriptures. In other words, a verse has to be true, right? But we know other verses have to be true as well, okay? And, and so here's the terms of our surrender. We have to believe and who Jesus is and what he came to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? That has to mean something, right? We have to believe, right? Okay? Well, is that all we have to do? Well, Romans 10.10 says this, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Right? That has to be true. Right? You have to confess. Right? That, that verse has to be true. If it's not true, we've got to rip it out of our Bible. Okay? And, and so does this verse need to be true? We need to repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why are we doing it? For the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, that has to be true, right? Uh, but we also have to believe and confess, though it's not mentioned here, right? This verse has to be true, but so are the other scriptures as well. We take them all. We don't just pick out the ones that we like. Have you surrendered to his terms of peace? Now, there's a, one term that, of, of God's peace that people put off. Even Paul put it off for a while. He put it off for three days after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus until a, a friend of his said this in Acts twenty two sixteen. Three days after he met Jesus. Now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and do what? And wash away your sins, calling on his name. Or we must make peace with God. And if you're like Paul, was in Acts 22, right? Yeah, and you believe in Jesus, you've confessed him, and you've not been baptized, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. Next, peacemakers make peace with others. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. With who? Everyone. Now, one of the best ways to live at peace with everyone is not to start conflict in the first place. By our words, our actions, our tone, by being prideful, critical, harsh, judgmental, defensive, hateful, mean-spirited. And instead, adopt the Ephesians 4 philosophy or the Ephesians 4 command. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. And tell me if you think this would help have peace in our relationships. Be completely humble. Would that help? Yeah, I think it would. And gentle, you know, keeping your strength under control. Being patient, would, would that help? I, I think so. Would bearing with one another in love, would, would that would help ease conflict and prevent conflict from happening in the first place? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the, through the bond of peace. Listen, although the truth will offend people, our attitude, your attitude, my attitude should not, Right? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And, you know, I, I think maybe some in this room and online need to pray about scheduling a peacemaking meeting with somebody. I'm not talking about an appeasing meeting or accommodating meeting, but a peacemaking meeting. And I get it. Those conversations are tough, right? 
They're difficult. I want to recommend a book to you. Um, I got a picture of it. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of this. Anybody heard of this book, Crucial Conversations? Okay. Uh, you know, great book. Three million copies sold. I, I don't get any proceeds or anything like that. Uh, um, but, but let me show you. Here's this basic diagram here. Right? A crucial conversation is when the stakes are high, you have opposing opinions, and strong emotions. Ever have those, right? Are you married? Right? <laughs> right? Uh, there's no higher stakes. One of the higher stakes are marriage, right? Yeah, it's high stakes. And you ever have opposing opinions in your marriage? Uh, probably, right? Ever have strong emotions? Well, well, this book talks about how to have these crucial conversations. So have you ever had a high stake, opposing opinion, strong emotion conversation that you avoided, but that didn't go so well? This book is designed to help people to have those tough conversations that sometimes we just simply do not know how to have. Next, peacemakers help others make peace with others. And unfortunately, people frequently do the exact opposite. And instead of making peace, they stir the pot. They inflame and ignite the hurt. They weaponize the pain and the anger. They add gasoline to the fire. Can you say the media and politicians? During the Final Four in 2021, I was watching the games and uh, Charles Barkley had the following comment. And I think we have that video ready to go, maybe. We do not, do we? Don't we? We don't have that video ready to go. Well, here's what it is. It's youtube.com slash watch question V equals D5 D7 I I E Q P Q4. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you can look it up. I'm going to tell you what he said. It's true. I go like, dude, you, you so rock, Charles. He basically said that our politicians want white people and black people to hate each other. And he says that most white people and black people are good people that like each other. Uh, he says that they want rich people and poor people to hate each other. And I, I think you watch the media. That's what they want us to do, right? They want us to hate Democrats. They want Democrats to hate Republicans. They want New England Patriot fans to hate New York Yankees fans, right? And we do. <laughs> they want everyone to hate the New York Yankees. But, but you, you get my point, though, right? They want us to hate each other. And, and we do that also with people, right? We can stir the pot. You deserve better than that. If that were my boss, <laughs> if that was my spouse, if that was my coworker, mad, mad, you should be enraged. Right? But listen, to do that is not only wrong, it is sin. Because as Jesus follower, we are called to be peacemakers, not troublemakers or conflict stirrer-uppers. Amen. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes many transgressions. Like how many times do we see this played out where we see strife being stirred up, or where we see anger leading to many wrong actions that hurt many people? Peacemakers make peace with others. Check this out. Paul's writing a letter to the church in Philippi. Imagine if you happen to be you die or synthike, all right? You're in church, got this letter from Paul. Great, Paul wrote a letter. Can't wait to hear it. I wonder what Paul has to say. <laughs> and they get to chapter four. Now I appeal to you, you die and synthike. Uh-oh. 
Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. He's saying, hey, don't send the rest of the church there. Don't just sit there and watch these two ladies destroy their relationship. You jump into the arena. You jump into the fray. He says, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They lurked along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Peacemakers help others make peace with others. And it can, it does get messy. People will not always want your help. But just remember to use Ephesians 4 as your guide. Humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. And see what happens. And here's the deal. Like, it is so awesome to see a relationship between two people restored. And to know that you played a part in that restoration. I mean, it does not get much better than that. To see a relationship that was broken, to see that restored. And know that you played a part in some way. Finally, but certainly not least, peacemakers lead others to peace with God. In two ways. Number one, when... when <laughs> that could have been my own phone. I didn't hear that. Okay, that's funny. That was God, Trump is a heaven, right? Lead others to peace with God. Like, one of the ways is there's a a fellow believer who is stepped away from Jesus, who is a, a prodigal, and this is where you love them enough to step into the arena and call on them to live a life worthy of their calling. And listen, that is not being judgmental. If it's, we're talking about something in Scripture that they're not living up to, you know, that is not being judgmental. That is taking God's word, which is the plumb line, Right? But don't be an idiot when you do it, right? Don't be self-righteous when you do it, right? You know, because that's not going to work. But you love them. It's like, man, I, I want you to come. I want, you need to make peace with God again. God loves you and God cares about you. And there's a way that he wants you to live. And then secondly is when we help people who have never experienced peace with God find salvation in Christ. Now check out these God-breathed words. If anyone belongs to Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have gone. Everything is made new. All this is from God. Through Christ, God made peace between us and himself. And God gave us the work of telling everyone about the peace we can have with him. God was in Christ, making peace between the world and himself. In Christ, God did not hold the world guilty of its sins, and he gave us this message of, of peace. So we have been sent out to speak for Christ. As if God is calling to you through us, we speak for Christ when we beg you to be at peace with God. Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin so that in Christ we could become the righteousness of God. Peacemakers help the lost find Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 10 two, the harvest is great, but the workers are what? Few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. Question, how often do you pray for more harvesters? Do you think anyone 
in our community, in your community, in our world, needs Jesus, right? You think they're hurting broken people that need the hope that we have, right? How often do you pray? How often do I pray? Do we ever pray for harvesters? Chances are, if we pray for harvesters, what do you think we'll become? It's hard to pray for harvesters and not be a harvester. Lord, I just pray. Lord, I'm fine here on the beach, sipping tea. I'm, you know, I'm having a good time. But Lord, there's a lot of lost people. Uh, send some harvesters out there. You know, let me know how it goes. If you pray for harvesters, guess what? You're going to become a harvester. Wouldn't it be cool to think there's people in heaven because of you? Can you think of anything better to celebrate for eternity that this person is in heaven because of you? Yeah, we've talked before about this concept of pray for one. You know, this prayer, Lord, give me one person that I can share your love with today. You know, and I would ask you, you know, if this week you pray that every day when you wake up. Lord, I'm going to encounter a lot of people today. I mean, how many lost people you think you encounter on any given day? When you go to the restaurant after church, when you, you go to Food Line or Kroger or Harris Teeter or wherever, or Walmart or Sam's or Costco or whatever, right? How many lost people do you think, you, or you go to school or you go to work every day? If you pray, God, you know what? Lord, show me that person that you want me to share your love with today. Blessed are those who make peace with God. Blessed are those who make peace with others. Blessed are those who help others make peace with others. The bridge builders. And blessed are those who lead others to make peace with God, for they will be called sons of God. I'm going to close with a story, one of my favorite stories. You heard it before, hear it again as if for the first time. Telemachus was a monk in the fourth century, and one day in prayer he felt called by God to leave immediately and head to Rome. So he packed his bags and headed to Rome, and once he got into the city, he was caught up in the crowd. The crowd was excited. He started walking with the crowd. Before he knew it, he found himself sitting in the seats of the Roman Colosseum. And he asked what was going on, and he was told that, hey, Rome has just defeated the Goths, and the emperor is putting on a circus to celebrate their great victory. And then the emperor came in. You could not miss him. And soon the gladiators came in. And they stood and yelled out as they stood below the emperor's seat, we who are about to die salute you. It was a traditional greeting of the gladiators. And and, and Telemachus had always heard about the gladiator games, but he always thought, man, it's probably not true. And now he realized, guess what? It really is true. And soon the gladiators began fighting each other and blood was spilling and he thought it was appalling, and even worse was the crowd who was excited about what was going on and screaming and loving what they were seeing. And, and so what he did was he, from his seat, he began to yell out, in the name of Jesus, stop. But no one heard him, and without thinking, he jumped over at the wall into the battle. And the gladders were surprised as they saw this monk and stopped fighting for a moment. And he kept yelling, in the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, stop. After a few minutes, the silence turned to chuckles because they thought he was just a clown in there for comic relief. And some of the gladiators began to swing their swords at him and they began to chase after him. And he's, he's dodging the sword. He's dodging their attacks. In the name of Jesus, stop. He's crying out. Eventually, the gladiators surround him and they surge and When the dust cleared, Telemachus is lying on the ground with the sword in the center of his chest. It's said that in that moment, that his words still echoed in the Colosseum, in the name of Jesus, stop. 
And after what seemed like an eternity, one guy got up and left his seat. Then another, then another, then another. And finally, the entire Colosseum was empty. Inside a dead monk in the center of the Colosseum, and it led to everybody leaving. After a few minutes, the gladiators dropped their swords and they left. And then the emperor, eventually, he left. And all that was left with a scrawny body of a monk laying in the middle of the Colosseum with the sword sticking out of his chest. And history claims that this was the very last gladiator game in the Colosseum. The memory of the man screaming to the crowd and the image of the bloodthirsty lust of the crowd had changed the hearts and minds of the Romans in that instant. Within the hour, the emperor had issued an edict forbidding any future games of war within the Roman Empire. No more killing in the Colosseum. No more gladiator matches in the future. No more killing a sport. All because one man stood up and said, in the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, stop. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you. And Father, we don't have to tell you Uh, You know human history better than we do, God, that we live in a hate-filled, angry, violent world, divided world, a world where we have leaders who want us to hate each other. They want us to only see what divides us and not what unites us as people created in your image. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to be a Telemachus and to step in to the arena, and, and God, to say, in the name of Jesus, stop. God, give us the courage to step into conflict, Lord, to maybe to restore, help restore a marriage or help restore a relationship between friends, to help bring peace in a conflict-infested work environment. And God, help us to, God, help us to make peace with other people, God. And God, if we're at war with someone right now, If we're holding bitterness in our heart, help us to have that peacemaking meeting, God, with them. And God, help us to help others make peace with you. This week, God, as we, even as we leave this place, as we go to stores, as we go to restaurants, as we go to work, as we go to school, God, give us eyes to see the hurting and the broken. And God, help us to know that we can bring peace to this conflict-infested world. God, help us to fight the temptation, Lord, to draw lines. Help us to build bridges. And help us to lean our lives on you and the rest in you because there's no one like you, God. We need you, Jesus. And I pray for anyone in this room today, God, who needs to make peace with you, God, that they do not leave this place, Lord without doing so. In Jesus' name we we pray, amen.